0: small business show at business episode 62 for Wednesday, April 13th, 2016. folks and welcome to the small business show at business the show that is by for and about small business owners here in Durham New Hampshire I'm Dave Hamilton and in Lafayette California I'm Shannon
1: Jean how are you Dave I'm doing well Shannon how are you today man I'm good I'm very good good I'm, uh, are you got there chatting all the, the messenger uh, Facebook messenger bots uh, today
0: uh, uh, you you're, know you're right actually that I I have it on my list to mess with, but it's been a busy day for other reasons, so I haven't had time to play. But but that is p- actually part of my work, so it's you know it's oh, good to go. get into that. Yeah yeah yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, uh,
1: today we're joined by a good friend of mine, uh, Kellen Raff of Grand Canal Solutions. How are you, Kellen? Doing great. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, th- thanks for uh, for being here. You know, Kellen and I, I was mentioned earlier. We go way back for. Uh, She'll probably 10 years where Kellen was my DHL rep. Uh, we used to uh, use DHL yeah. a lot, and uh, now he's out on his own and uh, doing his own thing. So we thought we'd have him here today to talk about his business.
0: Sounds like a plan. Well, yeah, it should be yeah. good. Yeah.
1: So, so Kellen, uh, the, the name of the company is uh, Grand Canal Solutions, and t- tell us a little bit little about what you guys do there, uh, how you got started, and just about the products or services that you, that you offer.
2: Sure. Um, so Grand Canal Solutions um, it does uh, logistics optimization um, for companies that are distributing products. So we developed a software. Uh, the product name is called Optimize. And uh, it's purpose-built to help um, distributors um, of product uh, to be able to efficiently... Uh, move their products within the domestic U.S. as well as uh, internationally. So very much um, what uh, what a carrier does for a shipper, uh, we do for all different types of shippers using all different types of carriers.
1: Oh, okay. So uh, and is it all international or just domestic as well? Uh, both international and domestic. And domestic, okay. Okay, that, yep. that's cool. So, you know, we're, we always focus on... Uh, you know, the aspect of running your own business here, starting, uh, getting things going. So l- l- let's go back and talk about the start. Tell us um, about how you got started with Grand Canal, what the impetus was. And I mean, did you work? And I know I mentioned you worked for DHL. I don't know how long after you left that you started Grand Canal, but uh, tell us how you got started and how you made that transition from uh, employee to business owner.
2: Yeah, sure. So um, actually the product that we uh, launched last year started right when I left DHL. So um, I was working for DHL doing my MBA at St. Mary's College right around the corner from where you are, Shannon. Yeah. And um, I was taking a quantitative analytics course, which is basically statistics and Excel and um realized that i had a lot of data available to me and started playing around with that data and uh, coming up with optimization logic so basically algorithms um which can improve decision making processes in shipping and uh it i didn't realize it was going to take us you know 8 9 years to actually launch the software um there were a few hiccups along the way a, a few you know good opportunities that i kind of put the the Product on the shelf, basically, and and uh, went and helped specific uh, shippers, you know, with um, with some bigger projects. Um, but yeah, like it it was a, um, quite a long path to get here. Uh, but we launched the SaaS software, so it's available on the web um, a, a year ago. So we put out 1.0 a year ago, um, and that was really started from uh, just me solo. Um, so I left DHL. Um, and I said, I'm going to basically make a, a consulting practice to help um, shippers, you know, those product distributors with their logistics needs um, and help them optimize their um, their distribution networks. And so one by one by one, um, uh, got a lot of experience under the belt and built a lot of models, a lot of the algorithms um, during those, uh, those cases working with customers.
1: Nice, that's cool. So uh, just to so i can understand a little bit when you're talking about optimizing you know logistics and this kind of thing is is it all related to you know cost savings and efficiencies is that what we you're primarily focused on
2: yeah efficiencies for sure so those could okay. be uh cost related or they could be time related uh they could be automation you know reduce um the touches um it could be also to optimize inventory values like to say you don't need five inventory locations around the U.S., you really just need three in these places. I see. Based on the data that you get from the client? Yeah, exactly. So um, we actually map the entire network um, through data. So we pull that data together from shipping histories, um, and then we put it into our solution, and then it starts making recommendations um, for improvements that can be made
0: Oh, that's cool, man. So, so you wrote the, you, I mean, you, you developed this entire, uh, software package for, well, it's a service by yourself or internally there. Uh, how much of it was, I mean, this just fascinates me as someone who's, who's built software and who likes data and who likes to analyze things, but also likes to have computers automate those things. So I don't have to think as much, you know, Uh And, and so I'm just curious how, what the process was like getting from, you know, you're solving this problem manually, you know, you want to solve it um, in an automated way. And you've got this idea for, for the software, but like you said, you, you're kind of, you know, dealing with clients one-on-one as the, as you, you know, have to stay in business. Um, So getting to this point, was there, was it that you had mapped out the software and you knew exactly what it was going to do, but you just hadn't written it yet? Or was it a thing where as you were helping customers, you were sort of saying, oh, wow, well, we could put this in the software and this in the software. And was it a learning process as you were building?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So exactly like you said, um, we each, you know, each project, each use case, each model that we had to build, it was all built in Excel originally. So we basically did it manually, you know, as you could in Excel. Sure. Um, start writing these different types of, um, of scripts and algorithms. And then, um, eventually to the point where we started breaking Excel because we were putting too much in there, either too many rows or too much data Mm. or too much complication where Excel would just freeze. And then we started transitioning over to more of a database program like SQL. Um, And then we built the, um, uh, we basically took all of our Excel models that we had built and all of our reference files and all of our database type stuff. And we started from scratch about two and a half years ago um, and started building purpose built SAS software on a, Uh, on a database. So basically from scratch, we took these models and then we reprogrammed them into the software.
0: Oh man, there's nothing better as a programmer than having the opportunity to take something that you've built in one, and I'll call Excel a language because it is, you know, and, and, and you've sort of uh, perfected it there, but you've got all this legacy history of the foundation of it that, Kind of is crap by the end, uh, you know by the time you get to to where it's actually working, you're like oh, there's all this stuff that I would have built differently if I did it to, you know if I could do it from scratch, and then you got to do it from scratch that's all i you know <laughs> I can imagine yeah, that being are.
2: yeah 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 it it, it was uh, it's quite a journey um I have to add in our my co founder so um two and a half years ago when we started coding, I actually did a joint venture, my consulting firm. With a software company um, Arun Rao is my co-founder in Grand Canal and um, he had a software company which had uh, staff and programmers and everything and so basically he was the one responsible for translating a lot of this okay. over to uh, to the database um, and so our team of i don 't know two years ago we were i think seven or eight people you know something like that um, and now we've grown to a size of twenty two I think more than more than half of the team is on the, on the programming side.
0: Well, that's really handy to bring in a partner that does, um, you know, they can, I mean that, that, that Shannon and I talk about partnerships all the time. And, and one of the best parts is, you know, when you have a partner that sees the same vision and brings all different skills to the table. So that's, it,
2: it really helps. And the additional people that we've brought in as well, partners also executives who have, Very specific experience and focus on certain areas have allowed both of us, uh, both Arun and I, um, to really focus on what is the highest value for ourselves. So he's the CTO. um, I'm much more customer facing, much more um, uh, kind of project management, sales uh, type of role.
0: That's awesome. That's great.
2: Yeah, it is. And and I, you know, also,
1: you know, recognizing that as you're building this data over time, that there's this, you know large opportunity and i think it would be all too common for you know as, especially as a consultant just to kind of put your nose down and focus on your current business and just keep solving the same problem over and over and over but seeing that opportunity i think is uh, it's fantastic and uh, i i think when did you you know was there a point when you realized like uh, you know that you'd created a, a, a viable business, you know, what was it at when you did the joint venture uh, or was there something that really hit? You're like, wow, this thing could really be big.
2: Yeah, that's what we intended on doing. So we did the joint venture to do development. And then we said, when we feel confident that this is ready to go, we will um, basically merge the two companies and start from scratch brand new. And so that's what we did in uh, December of 2014 was we took all of the IP. From, and all of, you know, basically the two companies and just started from scratch with a new corporation, um, which was a good, easy way to start, actually.
1: Yeah, that's it. makes sense. You know, everybody gets involved. And once you hit these benchmarks, you, you know, bring it together. Uh, that's great. That's good. So h- how do you how do you market the business? What's your, uh, you know, methods for getting the word out and bringing in new customers to your platform?
2: yeah it's a it's a big experiment still actually. Um, and I call it an experiment because we're doing so many things and we're you know very open with uh, what's working, what's not working. The idea is that we'll, we'll say, yeah, let's run a test on it, let's see what happens. Um, most of the business that we have has been from uh, prior relationships, you know referrals. Uh, sure. Like, for instance, Shannon could call me up and say, hey, Kellen, you should talk to this, this company. They're growing fast, and um, they're looking for this type of um, of solution. Um, but we're starting now to, in the past two quarters, we've been um, doing some email campaigns um, out to uh, our prospective uh, customers, which is mostly in the e-retail business, um, as well as distributors and manufacturers and things. Okay. So product-based companies. Um, and we're getting uh, actually very good results on that. Um, so we're getting hits to the website, which we can see. We we have a service that sends us an email of any company that they can identify by IP um, that hits our website, and so we're getting you know some big names um, hitting the website, and we follow up uh, from there with them.
1: No, that's that's great. Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so we, Dave and I always talk about schedules, and you know how you manage your day and, and juggle things. And what we're always interested is, you know, what type, what's your day like and as a, as a business owner, you know, are you a tight agenda type of person that really sticks to everything and checks things off the list? Or, you know, are you more free flowing walk
2: around and, you know, solve problems type of person? Uh, give us a description of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's getting uh, more intense on the on the planning and agendas, and uh, you've got fifteen minutes to do this thing that you'd love to spend an hour, but right. you only have fifteen minutes, so that's what you're going to do. And uh, yeah. as well, you know, lock yourself in a room so that nobody can come uh, interrupt you. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, turn off the LinkedIn, turn off the email, turn off everything, turn off your cell phone, and hide it because you have not very much time. Um so that's that's definitely been an uh something that I've been improving on myself and getting a whole lot more organized i when I was consulting, I would have breaks between projects sometimes where it was like, pfft, I just finished a a year and a half project and I have nothing going on, so I'm gonna go travel for the next seven weeks you know um Sounds but good yeah that was that was the past.
1: that was was the best (laughs) kiss those goodbye right (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. well let's we always say here you know uh you know owning your own company you don't have any any freedom i mean you have flexibility uh but certainly you you give up that freedom yeah
0: yeah for sure it's interesting though i want to circle back to this concept of um managing or perhaps mitigating interruptions uh and and sort of forcing yourself into that uh, role. It, there, there's something to be said about a, a deadline, even a self-imposed one or a, a limited amount of time to get something done. Y- you know, it, it, it can be, it can actually really help efficiency because you just wind up focusing on the one thing that you know, you can do and just doing it. It, it is that, is that a corporate culture thing for, for you folks, for everybody at Grand Canal or is that just something you've kind of imposed upon yourself?
2: You know, it's, it's becoming part of our culture. Um, we used to have, like a year ago, uh, before we really went to market, you know, we would spend the entire day in a large conference room, you know, whiteboarding and brainstorming and really being very, very creative. And uh, now that we've developed the product and we've gone to market and we've got really things to do and each individual has their specific role, um, it's much easier to actually just divide and conquer. Um, So that's been a transition um, for our whole team, um, you know, of, of of learning how to focus. And there's a couple books that, um, that I've read and reread um, over the the period of about the last year, which are fantastic. One is um, Getting Things Done. Um, I can't remember the author, but it's a very popular book. Um, And I think there's also a version of getting, you know, there's a second, like a version two of that as well. Um, so I'll I'll listen to that on audiobook every once in a while just to remind me. I think there's a, a bridged version of it uh, that's about an hour or so. Um, and the other is a very old book, The uh, Effective Executive. Um, every time I pick that up and even read four or five pages, I'm just like, oh wow! Like epiphanies right and left. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, that's great. There's one more theory that I was taught in a coaching session years ago um, called the Big Six and basically says, you know, the premise is you can really only accomplish about 6 projects per day. And so um you have in order to focus yourself and and not procrastinate kind of the biggest things, um you know, make those 6 and no other. Like feel free to make a list of all the things you want to do tomorrow, but the things you're going to do today have to be very limited. Um and then uh to carve those, you know, if you have an hour and a half type of a project, um don't say, oh, it's, you know, I don't have an hour and a half right now, so I'm not going to start it. Just carve it out into 30 minute blocks. And so just get 30 minutes of it done. And sometimes all of a sudden you'll realize, like, I just finished the whole thing in an hour and now I can move on.
1: Yeah, that's great. I love that uh, concept of, you know, locking things down and, you know, don't knowing that you're kind of limited on that and you know what you can get done. Otherwise you just never stop, right?
2: Yeah, and you, there's a guilt feeling as well when you have as much work as most startups and most um, you know, most entrepreneurs are you know, putting in 10, 12, 14 hours a day. And um, they would love to be able to put in 40 straight hours a day. Uh, there would be nothing more satisfying than just having the clock stop. Uh, but that's not reality. And so um, being realistic about what you can actually accomplish is uh, is quite relieving.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, there was a book that uh, came out a few years ago called a rework, uh, that really grew on the premise of, yeah, you got to hustle and you've got to really work hard, but, uh, you know, there's yeah, there has to be some cutoff, uh, and to kind of recharge yourself and you, you get to have a life and all that stuff. And it really talked a lot about that guilt that you mentioned that we all have that, oh, gee, it's, you know, it's 10 o'clock and I could be getting this done and that done. And, uh, I just had yesterday, my son, let's go play basketball. I'm like, oh, I got to get this done. But you know what? It's light for like an hour. We're going to go play basketball. Uh, you know, so that's that's good stuff.
2: Yeah, one thing I've done regarding family balance is I never work from home. Um I, it's so frequent that I don't work from home that I even if I tried to I can't because I don't have that habit. Um so I may come home late, you know, seven o'clock or something like that. But once I'm home it's like don't work. Um but I will get up at four in the morning sometimes and start work and go to the office. So um and then the family is sleeping, which is yeah, fine. Yeah.
0: It it is, I'm always curious what time people get up and, and if there's a a rhythm to it, or if it's, you just get up when you, you know, when you, when you wake up, because I do that too. Sometimes at four in the morning, I'll wake up and it's like, okay, yep, I'm awake. And I'm going to go to over to the office and, you know, start getting stuff done. So do you have a a routine that you mostly follow or not as much?
2: Yeah, I spent probably the last six months uh, waking up at three four in the morning and just being ready to go like totally ready to go uh that was more stress yeah. induced than <laughs> usually It usually uh, is it, 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 i don't form. mean to laugh yeah. but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no it, yeah, that's
0: that's what drives that yeah
2: it, it is um so now i'm a lot more healthily balanced i wake up about five and go work out and um you know wait to check the email and things like that and really have a more planned scheduled day uh, but I guess it depends, you know, it depends seasonally business seasonally. Right. Sure. Um, that there are times to rest and there are times to work your butt off. Yep. Yeah.
1: I think uh, one of the things that I've tried to do you know, in the last few years, talking about that balance and things is to not let, or at least try to, to not let other things drive my schedule, uh, you know, kind of come back to that six things you said, where you you set your things up and may you give yourself room to maneuver during the day when you have to solve problems or things. But I found if I let other people drive my schedule as far as, oh, I need this from you, I need this, we need to do this, it, it was just, I mean, it's almost impossible because you just never stop. Um, so we try to, to you know, manage things that way. It worked out pretty well.
2: Yeah, and it's about getting the, your teammates to take responsibility too. And not for task-wise, I mean, it's just general responsibility. Like you learn to say no, basically. Like uh, I could help you with that, but I've got my own work to do right now and that's your responsibility.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we talked earlier when we first started, you know, learning about Grand Canal, about optimization. It's the same thing in your, I think, in your business, uh, your day, since we're talking about that, is, you know, how do you optimize your time and how do you say no, even to to the clients? I mean, we, we constantly are trying to optimize our client base to, you know, where do, where's the sweet spot that we can provide the best service, generate a profit, and then, you know, the, the, the tail, the long tail, that's maybe wagging us from certain clients that we don't make any money on. Maybe we have to, you know, uh, say no to those guys.
2: Yeah, it's a healthy process actually to do that annually. You know, to look at your customer base and say cut out ten percent. And it could yeah. be because they're not paying you. It could be because they ask too much or that they take advantage and um, and or that it's just not the right business. Like your business has changed and theirs has yeah. not. And.
1: Yeah, it's tough, because you want to be, you want to offer those services, and, and a lot of the historical stuff, uh, you and I talked, you know, before the shows. you know, I have some, uh, and one of my companies that's transitioning to a really a new model, and you kind of have to say goodbye to some old customers that are just like, what? <laughs> you know, how, how, you know, what do you mean you can't provide this service for us anymore? So, it
2: it's, uh, can be challenging. Yeah, but it is healthy to do that, that culling, right? I agree.
1: Yeah, I agree. I find myself doing it daily sometimes, it seems, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, so, um, I, we're talking about, you know, s- optimizing things and, and measuring things. You know, we all measure cash, you know, cash is king and how the business is doing and growing, but you know, the, we all know as, as business owners, there's, there's a lot more to it. And we talked about our health and, uh, you know, family time. What, what's beyond cash? What's a, a good rubric. I love saying that word. It makes me sound much smarter than I am. Uh, <laughs> to, uh, to, to, you know, measurement that, that you folks use at, you know, your team uses uh, to measure your success?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. We actually do a lot of um, metrics around that. Um, you know, happy customers of course is, is one, um, you know, we engage customers on a much longer term basis. And so we don't have a lot of renewal necessarily. Like it's more of an annual type thing. Um, but, uh, you know, we would measure churn, we would, which would be the unha- measure of unhappy customers, right? Sure. Um, and then measure uh, revenue growth within the customer. So, is the is the customer finding more and more value continually um, uh, with us? Um, but prob- actually, going back, I'd like to change my answer. Uh, we we measure <laughs> we measure how much uh, dollars and what type of um, of return that we are achieving for the customer. And that's uh-huh. something that we do even monthly. And so we're always looking for um, new opportunities um, to prove our value. And we mm-hmm. found that if you can just continually um, continue to deliver value, that you'll always be valued by the customer. And it'll be a very long-term relationship.
1: That's a great answer. So you're huh. measuring cash, but not from a perspective of coming into your pocket, but what the customer is, is saving uh,
2: related to that. Yes. we believe that if we can, can, if we focus on the value that we're delivering to the customer, everything else will fall into place.
1: Yeah. I
2: like it.
0: (laughs) That's That's really, yeah. Well, and and it also gives you a a way to frame conversations with the, the customer. I mean, if it's just a, a natural part of what you're doing every day, you can, it's naturally going to then come up whenever you're, you're chatting with the customer or when it's appropriate, when you're chatting with the customer and it's hard for them to ignore that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah,
2: it's working.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, we love hearing about your success, uh, but we also really like mistakes here. Maybe just because, you know, we've made so many on our own, but as as business owners, you know, we, we think it's important to share it and everybody looks at a lot of companies from the outside and thinks, you know, things are perfect. Uh, you know, thinking back, you know in your business career over this 8 year span of you know getting uh the optimized uh, platform launched you know what what's the best mistake you've made you know that you've learned the most from that you can share with our listeners
2: yeah sure i'm glad you limited it to the only that 8 years cuz it's <laughs> would be way too long um You know, I would say that we took our eye off of uh, serving customers um, in a kind of a critical phase for us a few years ago, actually about a year plus ago. So before we launched um, the first version of the software, we just kept getting sucked into product development. And uh, we stopped selling, we stopped marketing, we stopped visiting face-to-face customers, we stopped networking, and then all of a sudden we finished the product and we were like, who wants this? And We realized that we really didn't have a lot of these, you know, and what I would recommend in order to get around this, and this is what we recognized we didn't have was we didn't have these like early adopter kind of beta relationships. Um, and in fact, I remember talking to you Shannon about this uh, Yeah. and that during that time of like, Hey, you know us, you know us well, can, can we just get some of your data and beta with you? And right. we just weren't doing it. We weren't doing enough of that at all. And that should have been continual, like to not take. It should have been part of the balance, rather than saying, "Hey, let's perfect this process." And uh, the lean startup uh, talks a lot about that um, in the you know in the theory of the MVP, where it's like get the minimum viable product together, and then even as ugly as it is, even requiring a ton of explanation, just get it out there into potential customers' hands and hear their feedback. And that when those those potential kind of beta customers are part of the development process, um, they will, of course, give very valuable feedback. Everybody understands that part of beta. Um, but they'll also be part of the development process, and they'll have more connection to the finished product as well.
1: Yeah, and if for anyone, uh, and we've done a whole show on this, uh, who's who's ever developed you know, their own software for their business, whether it's a product you're trying to sell or just something to run your business, that, that mistake is you know that's priceless advice because we've all been there where you kind of go down this wormhole and you do want to perfect it but it can just go on and on and on am i am i right dave yeah totally <laughs> yeah of course yeah yeah. yeah yeah it's just not it can be nonstop. stop so that, that that's a very good piece of advice yeah definitely so may, maybe you may have just answered this question as well and that but if you know if you could go back to when you were first getting started, now with your experience and all this stuff, what's one critical piece of advice that you could give yourself? Uh, that maybe something you would have done different, or something you would have told yourself that uh, would have had an
2: impact on you. Um, similarly, I think that all product product development people should be customer facing, um, should have that engagement. So you know that's to avoid developing in the vacuum. And it shouldn't just be one person. Like I was basically customer facing, and the rest of the team of resources, let's call it six or seven people, were much more uh, just relying on me for the the customer feedback. And so I think it should be much more of a team approach. It should be that um, anybody involved in product development at early stage should literally go out and visit customers and hear from them firsthand, uh, translate for themselves that. So instead message. of
1: running, yeah, instead of running interference for a programmer, telling them what you heard, getting them to, you know, direct contact with the customer, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, from a use case perspective, it doesn't have to be that they're literally sitting in front of the customer, but to really understand the customer.
0: I've, yeah. I've always said that every business is the customer service business. And, uh, and it's easy to f- to forget that, or it's easy for certain people in, in a, a larger company, you know, as you grow uh, because like you said, they can be shielded from the customers and that's, if you're going to be shielded from a, you have to be made aware of, of exactly what's going on with them. And it's just easier to get people out in, in front of customers. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it
1: makes sense. So Kellen, uh, you know, we love hearing about your company. What's the best way for uh, people to get a hold of you and learn
2: more about uh, the optimized platform? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so our website—we just relaunched um, a new website, which has an explainer video on there. It's a ninety-second uh, video that gives me chills every time I watch it because it's kind of been in development for a couple of years. Nice. Um, so Grand, yeah, it's uh, Grand Canals with an S at the end. So basically, Grand Canal and then S And then uh, there's a uh, um, that explainer video is I think on the on the main page there.
1: That's great. Well, you know, we, we appreciate you hanging out with us today. We'd love to have you back on in the future and talk about, uh, you know, how, you, how you're doing and things you've learned and all that stuff. It's uh, great to share some of the insight for, you know, our listeners. And uh, we really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks, guys.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming. It was a pleasure to meet you, Kellen. This is really interesting stuff. Um, ah, I love it. It's good. Folks, if you have questions for Kellen, well, he just told you where to find him at GrandCanalS.com. But uh, you can send us stuff, too, feedback at businessshow.co. And, of course, uh, you can find us on Facebook. We're still DBA Podcast, Shannon. This week, we're just going to change that. We're going to cut bait on that one. And it's just going to be uh, Business Show Co. or Business Show, if we can get it. Over there on Facebook. So we will announce that at the beginning of the next episode, but we're just going to fix that problem because I want to start listing like all these great books that uh, Kellen, uh, you know, so we got to have the right home for that. So I'm with you. Sweet. We'll see you next week, folks. Shannon. Thanks. Kellen. Thanks. Everyone listening. Thank you so much. Looking forward to hearing from you and we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.